In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Root of All Success podcast with me, the real Jason Duncan. This is the podcast where I interview super successful entrepreneurs and talk to them about how they grow incredible companies. And I've got this theory that every entrepreneur has experienced these five keys to success. Without fail, if they're successful, they've been through these keys. It shows up in their story every time. So with this podcast, it's kind of a way to, for me to test to see if that theory is in fact correct. So every episode I talk to a super successful entrepreneur, generally speaking, what who I'm talking to are people that started their own businesses without the help of a family business or a franchise. They built that business to, to bring in over $10 million in revenue. They've earned and built a net worth of at least $5 million as a result of that business. Those are the people I'm talking to in general. And so today's guest fits right in that category. Now, before we go any further, I want to let you know that this podcast, if you're listening to this just the audio version. I record these live and in person at the Standard at the Smith House in the Matador Room in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. So if you're watching this on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash C slash The Real Jason Duncan, you will see that we're sitting here in this amazingly beautiful room called the Matador Room. And my guests today are going to be smoking some nice cigars because we're in one of the top five cigar bars in the country. The standard is 18,000 square feet of Southern sophistication and style right in the heart of downtown Nashville. It's one of the oldest antebellum homes still in existence here in downtown. It's owned and operated by the one and only Joshua Sterling Smith. As a member of The Standard, he is allowing me to use this place to record these podcasts. So if you're listening to audio, that's fantastic. Thank you for listening. But if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, please go to my YouTube channel. Again, that's youtube.com slash C for channel slash The Real Jason Duncan. And you can find the playlist that's The Root of All Success podcast. This particular episode is brought to you by Results University. Results University is the world's premier online educational platform for entrepreneurs and business leaders. It has over 27 courses and over 300 lessons in subjects like entrepreneurship, leadership, financial literacy, sales, and even some elective courses in spirituality and faith. It's delivered online, and the way we've set this up, this university at resultsuniversity.org, is, you know, why should you go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a traditional college education on a degree that you may or may not need, and you'll be in debt for a long time? For a fraction of that cost, and I do mean a fraction, for a very small fraction of that cost, starting at just $97 a month, you can enroll as a student in Results University and get a world-class practical education in entrepreneurship leadership, sales, and financial literacy. That should teach you exactly what you need to do to start, to grow, to scale, and even successfully exit a business. And if you don't want to do any of those things, it'll teach you to be a better business leader, a better professional salesperson, and give you some expertise and business acumen and financial literacy. So go check it out at resultsuniversity.org. And if you go to resultsuniversity.org slash root, like root of all success, you get a special discount on tuition just for being a listener to the podcast. So resultsuniversity.org slash root for a special discount on tuition as a student at Results University. All right, that's enough. Let's get on with the show. Let me talk about my guest today and introduce him. So here we are sitting in the Matador room at the Standard in Nashville. It is a, uh, it's a gorgeous day outside, but it is so cool to be in this room. But my guest went from, and get this, the Ritz-Carlton <laughs> to politics to home health 
to robots. Now, this is an interesting story. So we're going to talk about how this person goes from doing room service out of college and then or, or running a room service organization out of college for the Ritz-Carlton, getting into politics with the National Republican Congressional Committee, then starting a home health company that has been wildly successful, employing over 5,000 people, providing over a million hours of care to the clients and to the, to the patients. And now, in the last couple of years, has started a company in robots where Roomba meets Netflix for lawn care. <laughs> I love it. So I want to welcome our guest today, Neil Amrine. Neil, thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Jason. Well, enjoy your cigar because we're going to sit here and, and enjoy a cigar. So those who are listening on audio, they don't, they don't get to see how cool we look right now. <laughs> so Neil, tell us about, uh, yeah, we're the Beard Brothers too, right? So tell us, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about how you got your start with the current company and then we'll kind of work backwards. So sure. my goat, is your company right now and talk a little bit about what that is what that's doing and we'll kind of work backwards yeah as you mentioned my goat is essentially Roomba meets Netflix for commercial lawn mowing I kind of stumbled into it by actually seeing an autonomous robotic mower about 36 months ago on a YouTube video and always having the juices flowing and ideas going I put together a financial model an operational model and said we could probably utilize robots, autonomous robots, to help with the struggles that I have within the home care business, which are labor shortages, recruiting, retention, uh, saving costs, etc. So we took the concept of autonomous robotic machines and we built a technology company that's a software platform that allows these robots to be moved, managed, maintained, and monitored through MyGoat. That is really cool. So there are golf courses and cemeteries probably all over the country that have these tiny little robots running all over the grass at all time and nobody's around it. That's got to be super weird for the first time you see that. What's that like for customers or just people seeing it for the first time? Well, one of our core values is being educators. So we talk a lot about, have you ever seen one of these things? Have you ever heard of one of these things? There are about about two and a half million of these things that have been manufactured since about the mid nineties. So it's one of those things where I don't ever really look at technology as being newly developed. It's just newly applied. And so how do we apply it in the commercial space? So a perfect situation for us, Jason, is that we have an entire cemetery that's completely being mowed and maintained. Uh, We call it maintained more than anything else because the grass never gets long. We don't have a traditional once a week kind of thing. We call that Gotopia. (laughs) We replace and we disrupt what's the traditional status quo of mowing commercial properties for the last 40 years. And that is Big guy like myself on a big machine, how fast does it go? How loud is it? And how big is the blade? And the limitations are unbelievable when you actually look at a robot that can do things at night in the rain on the weekends, make no noise. We're so much more efficient. That's really neat. So are you primarily deploying these, as I I mentioned, uh, golf courses and and cemeteries? Is that your primary deployment? Is Is that what you're aiming for? My initial business plan when I rolled out to my investors were very focused on the residential side of things. And we spent about 14 months or so in the residential space and realized that we needed to pivot. So literally about a year ago or a little longer, we terminated all of our subscriptions with all of our residential customers. And we turned around and went headfirst into the commercial lawn care space. And we were specifically focused on golf courses, like you mentioned, but also cemeteries, regional airports, any kind of athletic fields, both in the college or university settings. That's interesting because I didn't know about the, I knew a little bit about this because we've known each other for a little bit, but the regional airport is kind of interesting to me because that you've got access issues with humans going into that. So what you're doing is you're putting a robot in that spot where there isn't really an access issue. You're not going to have a problem with the FAA regulations of being on the runway or close to the runway while planes coming out, coming in or going out. Right. Great example is, you know, here at Nashville international, they've got 3000 acres, about 1200 of those acres are outside of what they call the secure zone. There's no reason why there couldn't be autonomous robotic mowers out there through my goat taking care and maintaining. But the nice thing is they have electricity, which is a requirement because these are all electric and battery operated and we are robot agnostic. So we might use eight or nine different manufacturers that make it because we're a software company. But inside on those runways, sometimes they're as big as, you know, 14 to you know, 16 acres. You have to keep the grass fairly low because if you have the grass growing, you have the, the chance of birds or animals or what have you getting in the flight pattern of landing planes or planes taking off. So 
That coupled with the fact that you can't put 15 foot winged machines out there when it's pouring rain because they'll fall, you know, into the runoff of the gully. So you've got all these restrictions that my goat takes care of because autonomous robots don't need a human being out there and they're not going to fall off the runway. <laughs> all right. So robots, that's very interesting. First guest who's in the robot space. That's interesting. But before and, and still actually currently with your my goat company, you have a, a company now called uh, All About Care Solutions that you provide home health care. And you started that with your wife about, what, nine, ten years ago? Well, we're at, we just hit our 12th, 12th year. 12th, wow, 12 mm-hmm. years. So mm-hmm. congratulations Thanks. on the tenure. Most people don't make it two or five, especially 10 or 12. Yeah. So congratulations. So tell tell the listeners how you, uh, like what you do, core business offering, and then how you got into that business. Yeah, sure. A couple of things. I decided to leave corporate America a little over a dozen years ago after essentially working for a technology company for almost a decade and becoming, I guess, what you might call a mercenary sales guy and took some of my skill set in that space as well as my hospitality background with Ritz-Carlton. And my wife is a occupational therapist. So we took the clinical, the three kind of legs of the stool and we put together All About Care. Basically, All About Care was started with a luxury experience in mind. So we believe that if we hire the right people, to provide the right level of care that families would hire us privately to take care of their loved ones. And oftentimes their loved ones might be, our average age is probably 65% of our clients are 75 years or older at this point, but we'll also take care of folks who are under hospice care, about 15% of our folks. So we're in and out of assisted living communities, independent living communities, but also wherever they call home. This concept of home care, home health care has been around probably started getting franchised in the late 90s. So I looked at some opportunities with franchises and said, well, I think I can apply what I'd like to do, build my culture and have the values that we'd like to espouse with our families and uh, and go from there. And that's that's what we did. So you started that company and your wife kind of started that company from scratch and cho- chose not to go to the franchise model, said, hey, I could do this myself and build a culture that I like with systems in place. And you've successfully done that quite successfully. Actually, you've done that now for 12 years. So how does as an entrepreneur, because I know a lot of the listeners are entrepreneurs and they're doing there's multiple different stages. You got the entrepreneur who just has the idea trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get this thing launched? You got the entrepreneur who's in the first two or three years of getting their one thing going. And then you got late stage entrepreneurs who are looking how to exit or start the next thing. I'm in that role. I've got eight different entities that I own right now. And I've got one big one that I'm trying to get. I'm doing startup all over again and it's killing me. (laughs) I didn't know how hard it was to do a startup because I was much younger when I did my first one. So for you, you know, you got my goat. That's a big new thing that you're doing now that has the potential to disrupt an entire industry. But you're also in this traditional industry of healthcare. but you're doing it slightly non-traditional, although I guess it could be argued that that now is becoming more traditional, the home health. How are you managing the CEO role or the executive role, founder role in two companies? Yeah, great question. And you're right. Having another startup mode here uh, a decade later is taxing, to say the least. So, you know, as you and I both know, the faster you get the right people in place and put those processes aligned with those people, the more autonomous you can become. As I like to call myself, instead of the CEO, I'm the least important person or the least important guy. So I'm the lig around the office, right? Because if I hire the right people and I implement the right processes and we develop those things, then I shouldn't be needed for most things, which is probably okay by most of the folks on my team, my leadership team in in particular. So with the home care space, you know, it's very people intensive. For us, I'd mentioned we have had over 5,000 caregivers in the last 12 years work between two offices uh, in South Carolina and Tennessee. And we realized, hey, let's build a company based upon the people. Let's talk about what that product is that we're going to deliver, which is essentially a high end level of care. And then let's talk about the profit. And then let's talk about the process. So I took that 4P kind of stair step and I reversed that with technology. Having now built a technology company, I looked at, hey, what's the process for this to scale? How do we make money doing it? What's our product and how are we delivering? We started in the residential space first, and then we moved uh, very quickly and we pivoted to the commercial space. Very difficult thing when you have revenue coming in the door and you decide, I don't want that revenue. I got to find this other revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then, um, and then we're applying the people to those processes. So we've actually reversed that four-step people process product profit. Okay. All right. So I like that. So I'm an alliterative guy. Actually, for those that know me, I spent the first 13 years of my career in ministry 
And so preachers love alliteration. They love coming up three points in a poem <laughs> and all the point, points got to start with the same letter. Well, so my five keys to success that this podcast is really kind of based on are five P's of success. Before we go there, I want to kind of dive in a little bit because I think entrepreneurs who are listening want to know that you've got this four P thing that you're working with people, product, process, and profit, which are really all important. And and I think that there are entrepreneurs that I coach and consult with who forget some of those P's at sometimes they pay all attention to profit. Other guys are only interested in people. Some people are only interested in process. Some people are only interested in product. But I think I heard you say is that a lot of people start with people that move to, towards profit or start with profit, and move towards people. So you did it the opposite way. So tell a little bit more Companies about that. Companies are totally different in the sense that I knew we needed to scale. So all about care, home health care, very people centric. We needed great people to provide great product. And so we started with the people part of mine. Having spent some time in the hospitality industry, I had been hiring people and interviewing people for many, many years. was very comfortable in that space. We have a very specific 11-step hiring process within our business that um, we go through in order to mitigate risk and maximize the experience that you know families have because it's a very much a one-on-one situation. So we emphasized the people. We talked about, hey, what's the product? What's the end unit? What's the experience going to be? Then we moved into how profitable can we be, whether we have independent contractors who are working for us, or W-2 employees and what that looks like and which what the family wants because now the product is being shaped based upon does the family want the same person over and over again or are they interested in just here you know high level luxury care and then we talk about the process so what do we need to put in place to sustain that level of care if you have a loved one who's under 24 by 7 care under hospice care you know how do you satisfy 168 hours a week there's no one human being who can pay attention 168 hours a week. So how do you put those people in place, the scheduling systems and the software that goes along with it? So we did it that way with All About Care. With my goat, we said, well, let's look at the process first. What's the process of us ordering the machines that are out there that are being manufactured today? Because we're not a hardware company, we're a software company. We're robot agnostic. So what's the process for us to create the supply chain and bring these things in through a dealership or distributor? Then we said, how do we make money doing these things? We know they cost this. This is, we call them the cost of pens sold because goats go in pens. So of course we have a cost of goods, but it's cost of pens. And we figure, well, how do we make our money? And then we look at what's the product ultimately that we're delivering. Are we really a technology company? Are we a subscription-based service? What does the client really need if they could have multiple goats running on their property because they may have a different goat running in their tea box versus on their greens and somewhere in between. And the idea is they just pay the same price over and over again. So our product actually is has an escalating discount in terms of the subscription. So unlike a Netflix, which might be going from $9.99 a month to $12.99 a month to $14.99 a month, we go the opposite direction based upon what we know about technology, which is true, that it gets better, faster, and cheaper. So we want to pass that on to our clients. So we know the price of an HD television has been thousands of dollars in the past, and you can get one at Costco for several hundred now. Mm-hmm. We want to pass that on. We want our customers to enjoy that. And the nice thing is their operating expenses remain the same or they're declining. So they don't have to worry about the people and some of the other things that the gas price is going up, labor, things of that nature. And the last thing is the people. We bring the right people in to manage those processes, to deliver the product. And we can do that through a very analytical component to say, hey, we need people and we use different, uh, maybe this is a little plug for the culture index, but we've been very successful in using the DOT program to identify the job description that matches with the DOT based upon their traits. Yeah, let's let's, let's kind of spend a little time talking about the culture index because you and I had a conversation about that last week. I took my culture index assessment. I guess it had to have been in the last 18 months or so. I found it really interesting what it did for me. So you, you with your company, I don't know if it's both companies or just my goat or or whatever, but so you use Culture Index. Now, Culture Index doesn't sponsor this and we're not paying them to do this and not paying us, but you use it. It's a tool that you use. Can you tell people what it is and how it works as a tool for you? Yeah, it basically identifies the traits and reflects the job behaviors that you have developed since you were 12 years old. The traits that you have haven't really changed based upon the level of autonomy that you have in your life, your level of independence, your social ability or willingness to be with people and talking to people, your patience level and your conformity. So these are kind of the four metrics without getting into a deep dive on what it looks like. There's a dot system and a metric matrix that goes along with that. And when you learn how to read people's dots, 
you can communicate with them better and most importantly can motivate them even more so instead of waiting for a traditional resume you know we at all about care average somewhere between 160 and 180 new employees every year in each of our two offices and look through as you might imagine thousands of resumes and referral cards calls and so forth this is on the front end so if the dots don't match the job description for a caregiver who's successful or for a software developer who would be successful with my goat then we don't use or accept them we don't even worry about the application and we don't actually uh, look at the resume or referrals because wow. it's very analytical so you you've grown to be able to trust that as a tool so you can get successful employees faster well, that's what this podcast is about, is getting to success, the root of all success. So you're using a tool called the Culture Index to help you hire better people to get success more more quickly. I, I know lots of my entrepreneur friends who use tools similar to that. And I know that in my coaching and consulting with entrepreneurs, I always recommend tools like the Culture Index. There's other versions of that. I, we, we use one, um, I think it's Sales Test Online. Love that one. It's very inexpensive and very accurate. I think there's Colby, the Colby AT which I thought was interesting. The strength finders is great. That's well, that's one of my favorite. It does something, it does a little different than what the culture index does, but I think that's good. P- predictive index is another one. Yeah. So those are just some tools that for anybody listening out there, you can, you can go search on the online for any of that culture index, predictive index. Myers-Briggs, those kinds of things are all great tools, but this one has been the most effective that I've seen. And, you know, back to the culture, even the culture of your program here and what you're trying to do and get, you know, communicate to your audience. I learned a great deal at the Ritz-Carlton about culture, about management, about expectations and about uh, delivery of service and experience. And even in my interview process with them, I went through four, two and a half hour interviews to get the job, to get to that point. So very exhausted, but they were asking a lot of the same questions over and over again. And it was um, and that was over 25 years ago. So entrepreneurs who are listening, business owners who are listening, there's a nugget of wisdom in what Neil is saying here. Hire slow. Hire slow. And then he didn't say this, but I would finish that by saying fire fast. So hire slow, fire fast. If you live by that, you'll probably do okay. (laughs) And I always say nobody really gets fired or terminated. People terminate themselves. It's all about if you set the values, you set the expectations, you set the core values there and they're right in front. 90% of the time, people find a better opportunity somewhere else or better opportunity within the business because they haven't follow those particular core values. That's right. And they sign up for a redeployment to another venture. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, let's talk about success specifically. So you've been a very successful person. I mean, you started out, like I talked about with Ritz, you had a stint in politics working in the uh, Republican Congressional Committee. And then at some point you decided to move on into starting your own thing, doing your own business. And that's an arduous journey. I mean, anybody who's listened to this that started anything from scratch without the help of a family business or franchise knows it's tough. And to be successful, I don't have the the numbers off the top of my head, but 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 I frequently refer to these when I'm coaching people who are wanting to do startups is that a certain percentage of people won't make it for the first couple of years, depending on the industry, it even gets worse. But then to make it a decade, which you've done 12, it, that is success, right? Success by definition, uh, according to the dictionary is achieving the results that you originally wanted. But let me ask you, and you can feel free to brag on yourself, but do you consider yourself to be successful? Do you think of yourself in those terms? Well, according to Culture Index, I'm a high A, so the short answer is yes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I just defer to the, what the survey says, so I'll agree with them. I would say I like to build stuff. That's what really gets me going is to build stuff, build cultures, build products, build processes. I'm a builder, and that's my technical expert designation in my Culture Index profile is that I'm very mechanical, methodical, and those kinds of things. And so when I started and exited corporate America in 2008, I remember it was Friday the 13th, June 2008, started All About Care. It was about six months before we had the the Great Recession that took place. So my timing was impeccable as far as leaving a very stable and safe place and just decided to go out on my own. But you can't foresee it, right? You just have to jump out there. But I would share with my with your audience that my experience was I set a very specific timeline for what I considered success. And I knew that within 15 months of me going out on my own, 
if I couldn't be successful, that within 15 months, I was likely to be able to go get a J-O-B for somebody else or with somebody else making at least 75% of what I was making before. And that was my marker. And I wish I had done it 10 years earlier, to be honest with you, but I was a little more cautious and, and conservative than, than some other entrepreneurs who might go out there and do their thing. But that was my marker. That was my, uh, my goal, my metric with my wife. And I said, if we don't make it work in 15 months, I'll go back and do what I've been doing for the last decade, being very successful as a mercenary sales guy in the technology industry. Well, I don't want to bore listeners with my story over and over again, but I don't think I've told you when I started my company, I was a school teacher and I didn't get my contract renewed due to the same thing, recession. You know, I didn't have tenure. And even though I was the best teacher in the county for my subject area, it didn't matter. That was the way they made the decision. I found myself as an accidental entrepreneur, probably much like, well, you, you, you elected to leave corporate America, it sounds like. But I did, too, give myself a deadline. And I said, if I don't have something happen by this date, I'm going to go get a job at Lowe's or Starbucks or something. So you did the same thing. So here's what I think that tells me is that you are successful if you reach that goal. My goal is I got to get something to happen by this date. You reached it. That's success. That's a dictionary definition of success. But what does Neil Amrine consider success? Like if you had to define success in your own words for the listeners, what would you say that success is? Financial freedom. The ability to get to the point where... You may have just mailbox money as far as getting some kind of recurring uh, royalty or have uh, a situation where you can you have the ability financially, but also from a time perspective, because that's really the only thing you have to offer in life is your, your time, your treasure and your talents. So the more time and the more talent I have and the more treasure I can share, then I can do other things that are philanthropic, that are um, I can be on boards and nonprofits and things of that nature. And that that also fills me up. But due to my personality, for me, enough equals more. And so I'm going to always be searching for something as a you know, restless folk, uh, person. Uh, but that's okay because I want to be successful and, and, I'll, and I'd like to fail. Some of the biggest failures I've ever had are the biggest lessons I've ever learned. And, uh, and that, that's okay. You've got you've to hit the wall. I mean, what did Tiger Woods uh, change his golf swing uh, two times or three times and he was winning majors and still change his golf swing? I mean, having the ability to pivot. And taking a calculated risk is my experience, something that's super important for you to elevate your your game to next level. And you probably have some other guests that use this term of, you know, surround yourself with really people people who really challenge you. Yeah. I I love that that last thing you said there too, because when I'm interviewing or, or mentoring or working with my apprentices who are young, you know, they're in their teens or 20s, and I'm trying to show them, here's what it takes to be successful. And we have to, of course, define what that means is that one of the things I always tell them, just like what you said, you got to surround yourself with good people. You know, it is said by psychologists that you're the average of the five people you hang around with the most. And that's everything. That's attitude. That's the marriage, you know, quality of marriage, quality of quality of life and finances. So, you know, if somebody's out there listening today and they're struggling financially and they're not really in the job that they want, they don't know what the next step is. They're doing a good job by listening to this podcast because they're getting access to your brain and to opportunities. To, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know what the culture index was. I should look into that. But I would tell those people, if you're not where you want to be, look around. Who are you hanging out with? Because if you if you look over there and old Bobby or Johnny, you know, they're pretty much losers. <laughs> and you look at them and go, wait a minute, I don't want to be that. So it doesn't mean you have to discard them from your life, but you need to pick more people to hang around with that can lift you up. So I love that you said that. I love it. So let me ask you, let me let me talk about the the first of the five P's, kind of my theory. That is passion. So Every entrepreneur I've ever interviewed has shared with me some little bit of passion about what it is that they do. Now, I'm going to take a wild guess that passion, like you're not, you don't just like wake up every morning. I can't wait to play with robots. That's probably, now that may be you and that may be what, like when I started my LED business, I was never passionate in the terms of excitement, exuberance, and joy about the product. My passion originally was, man, I got to feed my family. I got to pay my mortgage. I got kids in private school. I got to, I got to pay tuition. So my passion was in providing 
right? But then the other side of passion is something I don't think most entrepreneurs think about, although it is present. And that's what I want to ask you about is passion means willing to suffer or endure for, for some cause or reason. So like you think about the term, the passion of the Christ, he wasn't excited to go to the cross. It wasn't, that wasn't something he was woke up. Like, I can't wait to do this. It was, I'm willing to do it for a greater cause. So tell me and tell the listeners where, if any, in your story, that either side of passion or both sides showed up with, with all about care or my go. Sure. I mean, I, everybody has a, I, I believe that great entrepreneurs have an ability to tell a story. They've had an experience in life and a lot of times they can build that. You don't have to have a great idea. You can improve things that are going on around you. And, and that's kind of been my experience with, uh, I think some people just say, I don't have that idea. And so I don't, I'm never really going to venture out. My home care business, they've been doing this in franchising and helping old people in the home for a long time or seniors in particular or people who are disabled or mothers who are on bed rest and so forth. And with my background as a hospitality guy in, uh, in the hotel industry, I felt compelled having been as close to my grandparents as I have always been that, that we could do better, that things could, people could have a better experience. They could have that luxury level of, of care. My wife is an occupational therapist, different than being a nurse. A nurse is kind of, um, you know, more involved in the medications and things of that nature, you know, therapists, whether it's occupational, physical, or what have you, is their mantra is how do you get better yourself? How do you get more independent? How do we use the tools that help you to carry on your life that even though you're aging, you're aging in place where you want to be when you know, on your own terms as well as you can be, but you have that sense of ownership and pride. And I guess, you know, what drives me a lot is your liberty and your freedom, your ability to make choices and do that, which is obviously where we're the greatest country in the world, yeah. uh, is that, you know, the constitution tells us we can do that. And that's awesome. You know, play by the rules and work really hard and you can pursue happiness and life and liberty. Right. So that's a big part of where all about care was derived from. I had this 10 year run with technology and was very well versed in what that meant. And so a decade later, having seen autonomous robots and recognizing that this could help labor shortages and just make things a little bit better for the same labor shortages and things you may have with landscapers and things of that nature, along with reducing costs uh, across the board. Uh, so then my business sense really started kicking in, like, okay, we, we could help people to save money. And then you couple that with the environmental component of, you know, I'm not one to like, hey, you should intentionally throw your trash on the floor. Uh, but you should consider that there are some, there's an environmental impact when you have 87 gallons of gas from a zero turn mower spilling every year on a golf course, or you've got a carbon footprint that does this when you really have robots. You know, that's, I'm very intrigued by what Elon Musk has been doing with the idea of electric and robotic, you know, robots and artificial intelligence and so forth, but electricity as, as a form of transportation and, and so forth. So that has intrigued me. It's not, you know, I don't live by that, but there is a, a component of it that's been very uh, well received by my customers in that space. So on the passion scale of endurance and suffering, I know that for, for me, you know, I want to know what your story is like, but I know that early on, you know, I gave myself a deadline and I hit the deadline. It worked. It worked. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be sitting here if, it, if I didn't hit my deadline. But that doesn't mean that I went from teacher, school teacher to millionaire in six months. That's not that didn't happen. <laughs> it took a much longer time than six months. What we're talking about here is that your early days in all about care. And now now you're you're in the early days of my goat. Man, there's probably a lot of crap you're having to deal with. People, technology not working correctly, government interference, COVID. I mean, everything kind of comes. But entrepreneurs who succeed are willing to go through that mess because they realize what's on the other side. So you want to share a story about any mess that you went through? Or <laughs> <laughs> start. Every day is a mess, it seems. Uh, no, in... in I think resilience is, a, is it's almost having uh, no memory or you know, short term memory. And sometimes you have to learn lessons, although my brain, oftentimes I learn things by what I learned yesterday and I don't forget them. You also have to just accept certain things that are failures and go on. I remember early on with All About Care, I'm in the business of providing caregivers in homes and billing them by the hour. So there was a need for us to get to a point where we had enough caregivers on staff. It was never a shortage of people who needed care. It was a shortage of people who could and would provide care and follow through what they 
you know, said they were going to do. So if you have somebody who's scheduled to be with a, somebody under hospice care at seven o'clock at night, do they show up? Will they show up? Is there a restriction on if it's snowing outside that they've never driven in the snow before? So, uh, you know, I may hop in the minivan and, you know, show them how to drive to the the, the um, family's house. And uh, in some cases, I'm even showing some folks how to, how to drive in the snow, which, of course, Tennessee doesn't snow that much, but there's lots of hills. And I think last time I checked, two snow plows and maybe three salt trucks. So it shuts the city down by and large, right? So those are some experiences early on, just running a 24 by 7 shop and running a 24 by 7 experience uh, kind of harkens back to running a room service department where you could get whatever you want at two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. It never ends. Yeah, you know, I always go back to Waffle House. They don't have any locks on the door, right? Because they're open. Twenty four seven. They're never man. closed now. So I never really thought that's what I wanted to do. But I think my motor is built in such a way to, to make that happen. And you have to have that kind of a motor and those kind that kind of. But setting sprints as opposed to that long term has been my experience of success. Just set those milestones and continue to try to knock them down. Some you can't knock down sometimes you have to move the goalposts a little bit can't keep moving them or you're going to be what i call um you're gonna have a very difficult hobby if you're not making any money you might want to pick another hobby yeah that's I have right. lots of other hobbies uh, but as far as my goat's concerned we took on investors we raised we're in our series a now as far as uh, rounds of funding but i had a number of folks who trusted me who believed in my business acumen my dedication my responsibility to making them money and turning this around and into to an organization that would have an impact uh, on them financially um, but it's a big risk you know so you have big shoulders you and i both do and we carry a lot uh, through the goal line in what we do every single day and that's been my experience with both organizations. I bootstrapped one and I took on investors in the other. Ah, so you bootstrapped one, you're invest, getting investors in the other without making anybody angry <laughs> or tipping anybody off. Which one do you prefer? Hmm. Well, I think I have to get back to you in the next one because I'm only a, I'm a short ways into the investor uh, situation as far as bootstrapping. But the fewer bosses you have, the less distraction there might be. And your willingness to suffer uh, chart changes when you take on investors because you got other people telling you what to do. Expectations go up, et cetera. So you got if you're not willing to suffer, if you don't have passion, you are not going to make it with investors. You know, one of the companies I own is we it's a small, very small investment company where we look for opportunities to invest little, little amounts of cash. And I get people that will call and say, I got this deal. And I'm like, I'm not. You know, that's just not what I'm interested in. But then I'll have people call and they'll say this and I'll say, that's interesting. Yeah. But then when I get into the weeds, man, these people are not willing to suffer. Right. They got an idea. I, I told a guy on the phone this is yesterday and this is a, a good dude in case he ends up listening to this and realizes it's him. He's a good dude. So this is not a slight against him, but he had this great idea. He said, hey, here's an idea. It was a technology play. And I told him, I said, look, here's the thing. I said, ideas, there's no shortage of ideas. Man, there's homeless people with amazing multi-million dollar ideas. But it isn't the idea that pays us. It is the execution of that idea. And I said, here's the thing. If you're not willing and able to execute that, because it's going to take a lot of money and time and energy and investors to make that happen, pick an idea that's less than a million dollars, but one you can execute. Go do that. And he's like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> because the level, your ability to suffer, that is the first key to success, is that if you aren't willing to suffer, you need to give up. On, on that particular venture, pick a different one because that's going to be a good idea. But if you're going to have to suffer and you ain't prepared, man, it's going to be tough. Well, let's talk about the second one. The second one is P. The second P is place. So this kind of refers to the idea of right place, right time. Yeah. I have never met an entrepreneur who succeeded that doesn't have a story about right place, right time. So tell us yours. Sure. I'd rather be lucky than good. Right. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> just give me the luck uh, over being good. As far as being an entrepreneur, with my home care business, I recognized that I was, I'd run as far and as fast as I wanted to in the corporate environment. And I was willing to take a risk on myself in building something out with a home care business, which was unrelated to what I was actually selling in technology as far as the, the customers are concerned. So being in the right place, I don't know that I would recommend that you start a company six months before a recession or you know gamble all that away. But then again, nobody really knows. You can only prepare so much as, as far as what, what that looks like. But I certainly realize that in that space, you know, people are living longer and they're dying longer and they still are today, right? What you know, may have taken your life 20 years ago in two months, you can live with the same diagnosis for two years with the technology and the medication today. The question is in between, 
what's your quality of life? And is there an organization that can improve and enhance your quality of life and allow you to live with dignity, independence, and so forth in your home? So for me, it was I had some grandparents who were at that point in life and it was good timing and I had some experience with them. And so I happened to be in the right place at the right time and recognized there was a great potential opportunity and it's not going to go away. You know, the, if I had robots who could help me with my 90 year olds and put them in bed at night and so forth, I, you know, would definitely consider that because of the reliability and things of that nature, as long as there's that bedside, you know, component that is so necessary. With my goat, I happened to just see a YouTube video. And it was the first time I was ever exposed to an autonomous robotic mower. Never in my life had I even heard of one, let alone seen one. So I have probably some other interviews out there that have uh, shared a little bit more of the detail. But because of All About Care as a springboard of entrepreneurship and and, uh, being able to meet a lot of folks who have ideas, um, I was able to get more and more ideas. It's one of those things where you can't catch enough you know, your breath. My, my wife gets on to me. She's, you, you probably have, you know, 50 ideas before nine o'clock in the morning. I'm like, yeah, and 99.9% of them are terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Wouldn't do it. Um, so I subscribe to kind of a theory of small minds talk about people and discuss people. Average minds talk about and discuss events and great minds talk about and discuss ideas. The caveat to that is there are entrepreneurs and there are entrepreneurs. And being an entrepreneur means you've got to execute, not just have the idea. That's right. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier. And if you, I don't know if you saw this or not, but on the entrance, on the second level of the standard, when you come in, there's a plate on the door that has that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that you just mentioned about how small minds talk about people, average minds talk about events, and great minds talk about ideas. It's actually on the door. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. On your way out, turn around and look. It's right there. It's really cool. Um, all right. So you've got right place, right time. Now, the third P I talk about with people is this idea of, uh, of pe- it's people. Mm-hmm. It's knowing the right people. And I know that in my story as a successful entrepreneur and everybody else has sat behind the microphone on your side of the table, that there is a person or persons that they can point to and say, man, I had that person not been here. And there's no telling. I might have still succeeded if it had somebody else would have had to help me. So what, who do you have in your life? That's you like know, it's that? a great question because it's one that I ask in every single interview that I have ever had, which is who's your mentor in life? Why were they your mentor? You know, you hear people say, you know, Jesus or their mother or their father or somebody that they met. I really believe strongly in paying it forward, especially now that I've had some opportunity and some experiences to share with others. I think it's a whole group of people ultimately that have uh, allowed me to have the confidence to be bold and make a difference. I also think there's a a survival component of when you get too comfortable, a lot of times you can get complacent, mediocre. And as far as my, I have a strong faith. My family has a strong faith. Um, We rely very heavily on that faith in terms of keeping us together where it's, it's our unit. That's what we do. But it really starts with me personally and my relationship and with God, right? And then our relationship and how how that works and what I do. And then obviously with my wife and our children and so forth. So that's the core. That's the, you know, the foundation. There have been tons of influence, uh, influencers in my life. People I've met, great people, investors that I have today, people that have been my boss. I mean, I probably had uh, two or three that I can think of, of my groomsmen were my former bosses in corporate America in some, some way, shape or form. I worked for them or we worked together. So, you know, you are, you hang out with is what I believe. I've always believed that. Back to your point about, you know, you're never a victim. You can make change. You just have to understand and reflect the circumstance you're in and then accept that you need to make the change. That's right. So you said that your wife was an is an or is an occupational therapist, though, right? I'm not exactly sure what an occupational therapist is, but I'm going to make a guess that the fact that she is an occupational therapist had something to do with your choice of going into home health. Am I correct in yeah. that? Or had it was the third leg of the stool. There's no question about it. I had a hospitality background, which made a lot of sense. I was like, okay, we're going to deliver a high level of care and service. I had a technology background, so I knew the systems and processes, and I had been able to sell and be successful doing business development. But certainly if my wife hadn't been a occupational therapist, being able to help people to become more independent, if you have your hip replaced or your knee replaced, it's not just the physical therapy of the exercises, but is occupationally, how do you now live in your home and still have the same steps, 
that are still missing the same grab bars or the same whatever it might be to become as independent and to what level can you become independent? So it fits perfectly into what we were doing. We can go into the home and we can say, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, pulling all the the rugs off the carpet so that you don't have a tripping hazard? Or have you ever thought about taking the door off of the frame because nobody's here, you live by yourself and you can get in and out of that room with your walker more effectively because, you know, whoever thought of the idea of, you know, throwing some water on a slippery surface and calling it a shower and then having somebody try to step over and jump in, right? That's 72% or so of falls take place in the bathroom. So the occupational component, to your point, you're very perceptive, was, you know, Frosty on the cake. Yeah. So, so there you go. I mean, you've got every, everybody's story is that person you can point to that was the catalyst or a catalyst in their story to get to success. All about care solutions would not be the successful 12 year old company it is today. Had it not started with day one, you looking at your wife going, wait a minute, I know how to do really high levels of care from a hospitality standpoint. I know technology, you know, healthcare I bet there's a company here. And so there you go. Now, the fourth P is the most difficult, and that's preparation. And what I mean by preparation, when I talk to entrepreneurs and I kind of dig out from their story, this particular key to success, it is that do you have the know-how to accomplish what you are setting out to accomplish? For example, you mentioned Elon Musk earlier. And Elon, if you're listening or your people are listening, I'd love to have you on the show. I did write you a letter, <laughs> but I don't know if you ever got it. Uh, since I wrote the letter, you've now become the richest man in the world. So congratulations. I should write more letters to more people. I think that if you look at preparation for him, he started you know, SpaceX. I'm going to assume that you and I couldn't do that today. Like I can't, I'm not going to be able to start a company today that's going to go to the moon or to Mars or whatever. Because I, I just don't have the preparation. That doesn't mean I can't get it. I can start working on it, but I got to prepare to get there. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't succeed because they may have the people, they've got the right place, right time, got passion, but they're not prepared. They just simply don't know what they don't know. And they, they're not even in a position to get there. So how did you prepare to become the successful entrepreneur that you are today? Uh, you know, I think knowledge leads to confidence, right? Knowledge is power. They talk about the words you use, the books you read. We all kinds of, you know, I'm sure you read, Jason, a lot of books. You know, I, uh, the average millionaire reads a book a, a month or, or more. And the access to information and data is super critical to people getting and having the capacity to come up with that idea and to execute on the idea. I mean, I, I sometimes reflect back of, you know, when I was in middle school, it would be a huge advantage if you had a Encyclopedia Britannica or a world book, right? You didn't have to go to the library and then your buddies would come over and borrow it. You flip through the pages and footnote it. Now you have the internet. You have all the information now. This information and other information, it's you now have to come to go through the deductive reasoning and you know critical thinking skills, which is even more difficult, the analytics. But the reality is it's there. All the information is there. And it's right in front of you. It's just what's your will and and putting it all together. So you, to your point about, you know, SpaceX and people coming up with different plans. I mean, I've got teenage kids, 14, 13 and 11 at this point, And they're, you know, intrigued by YouTube videos and TikTok and all this other stuff that's out there. And it's just massive, almost too much information. But for me as a libertarian, I'm like, give me more, give me more. Let me decide. Uh, we'll have some regulations and rules around there, right? Processes. So it's not chaotic, but overall that access to information can allow you to be really great. You, you mentioned early on about is the traditional institution of higher education going to sustain itself as far as anything other than maybe a networking tool or, you know, get some blocking and tackling, or can you actually start that, you know, in high school or earlier with vocational trades and, and things that you can do? We're always going to need electricity. So we're going to need people who to be able to do that, you know, plumbers and things of that nature. Not everybody needs to have a political science degree from the University of Georgia like me. <laughs> Go Bulldogs, right? <laughs> right. Go Dogs. So on the preparation side, I think back to your story about starting at the Ritz-Carlton out of college, you know, going through four, you know, four, two and a half hour interviews to get a job running room service. Now, I think that uh, people who know Ritz know that that's why they do that, because room service is probably the most important. Well, one of the most important parts of that whole experience is getting anything you want at any time of the day. But you had that as a preparation for entrepreneurship, even though at the time nobody would have said this is preparing you to own your own company. Yeah. Nobody would have said that, but it prepared you for it. And then and then working in politics for the congressional committee. 
I can't imagine what benefit you would have got from that because I'm an apolitical person. But I know that there were benefits there that you got. And you actually told me a story about you know, your boss at the time said, hey, man, you got to go. Mm-hmm. Like, Can you mind sharing a little bit of yeah, that story? Yeah, I said, get out of Washington, D.C. as quickly as possible. If you want to be a statesman, if you want to really serve people, you know, go out, connect, you know, get a real job, get involved in the community, um, have a family, you know, give, and then you'll be able to be involved in serving essentially. So uh, it was really an interesting, you know, two things that remind two stories that, I, that I'll share with you. One, uh, when I was at the Ritz in one of our locations near Washington, D.C., we had a guest that had purchased a few signature glasses from, um, I think it was Union Station or something like that. And they just had labels on them. They were just standard rocks glasses and they had left them in their room. And of course, the room was clean and the, the rocks glasses that looked just like everything else, except for they have a little label on them, were missing. And so we had to scour, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand glasses to find these things. And when we didn't, we took the initiative to go down and buy two more for them and bring it back. So if you want cookies from Kroger at two o'clock in the morning, you can ask for those at the Red Square. It'll cost you, don't get me wrong. But that's the level of there is no no. It's yes and, right? The attitude is... Yes, and what else can I do for you? How may I assist you, right? Politics, same kind of thing. You're going to drive yourself into a scenario where, you know, it takes a vote and it takes money. You've got to raise money and get get a vote. But you've got to have a message. You've got to have people to believe in you, right? And you've got to talk about right time, right place. It's a pendulum. It swings back and forth. We see it today. We saw it in 2020. We've seen it in the last two, two or three decades. You may be in the wrong place at the wrong time. You may be messaging out. I mean, Ronald Reagan didn't become president until 1980, but he 76, they thought he should be president. He had all this political capital that he had gone through and being, you know, twice governor. And here was an actor. Yeah. It was an actor. Right. So things like that are got to be inspirational. But only in America can that kind of stuff happen. That is neat. Well, the last P in the in the five P's is plan. A lot of people, when I when I first bring this up, they say, oh, yeah, business plan. I got to have a business plan. Well, that's not what I'm talking about, because honestly, and, and most of the entrepreneurs I've interviewed it casually or informally uh, didn't have a business plan, written written business plan. Now, they knew what they were going to do, but but they were pretty much shooting from the hip. They're, they're bootstraps, especially bootstraps, right? They're, they're bootstrapping it on their own cash, their own money. They're trying to make it happen. Now, when you go get investors, I realize that if you're getting institutional or private investments, you probably got to have a written business plan. But that's not what I mean by plan. What I mean is financial resources. And what I mean by financial resources is that you need to have a plan or a strategy to obtain and deploy those financial resources to be able to accomplish. So every entrepreneur who's been successful that sat across this table or that I've had a cigar with at the club or, or met for lunch. We just talked and I just know that they're successful and they've, you know, been very, very successful financially in every other way imaginable. At first, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but at some point mm. I realized I got to have a plan. This takes finances. You can't do this without finances. Nothing good happens without finances. Like somebody somewhere had to, pro- had to provide those resources to provide that. So in your story of success, I love your story because you got two sides of this. You got a bootstrap, been very successful 12 years. You're in the brand spanking new early stages of institutional, or maybe not institutional, but investing through Series A funding. Uh, so you got two different sides of that. So tell the listeners how you have a plan or had a plan back with All About Care to obtain and deploy resources, financial resources. Yeah. Well, first thing I did was save money and have a budget and realize that this is it. And I knew that every single day that went by, if I wasn't making money, I was losing money. So what was my tipping point for profitability? I wasn't in the business of building a brand that might have a market cap or might have some kind of valuation that somebody projected. We were in the interest of, you know, we weren't going to spend $11 so we can make $10. That doesn't work. Uh, So our plan was to start with a budget and look at that. And then we would say, well, maybe this isn't the greatest website that we can Put together, but it's one we need to hang a shingle. They need to know that we exist. Maybe we can't put X number of dollars into marketing or sales or project management or hiring or there's all kinds of ways to spend money. You just have to pick those resources. And so you're bootstrapping, you're doing that so you can hopefully have that intersection where at some point I as the entrepreneur can actually make a dollar and you have a tipping point as to whether or not you can or you can't do it, you know, and you might spend thousands and thousands of dollars, but you hope to make tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. It's almost like a, I would call it a poker game, but you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Yeah. 
So when you started, did you know what that was or did, did it, how long did it take you to figure it out? I had a 15 month window. That was it. I was running. I was on the treadmill. I was running. We're open 24 by seven. I was on call the first uh, 584 days in a row. So the phone rang two in the morning. Somebody didn't show up. I was going to provide care. Whoa. That's passion. Go. It's willing it goes to back suffer. to your first P, right? Yeah, that's right. The other part on the investor side with my goat is I intentionally said, I think we need to raise X number of dollars and I need to put this plan together. And a lot of times, believe it or not, I read a great book recently that talked about when you ask for money, you're likely to get advice. And when you ask for advice, you or likely to get funded. Oh, that's that's golden. Listeners, right? you better write that down. That was good. <laughs> that was good. So, you want money, ask for advice. You want advice, ask for money. <laughs> it's a very interesting psychology that goes that's along good. with that. So for me, especially as we've gotten uh, now further in our rounds of raising, now we have to be very defined on where we're going to spend the capital and where we're going to deploy it. Where's our intersection of profitability? For us, it's EBITDA and it's multiples of EBITDA and it's highly scalable and it's moving a lot faster than more of a lifestyle business, which is all about care and home health care because it's harder to scale. You just need more resources and things of that nature, but it's flatter. You can get really on a rocket ship quickly with being having a technology company. So specifically uh, in my uh, early rounds of raising money with my investors, earmarked 71% of every dollar would go to technology and sales and marketing. And I would limit the number of administrative. I don't need it executive assistant to help me with my calendar if I can use Calendly or some other tool that's going to block it off and so forth so I can save you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year by not having that there, using technology to, to get me to that level. So where were we focused? We're focused on building a technology company that has software developers, that has the right tools and the practical application and telling the story, messaging like we're doing today, right? Sorry. Telling the story about my go. And, and I hope care. a lot of people will look you up because that's mygoat.co, not co, not com, but co. So th- as we kind of close, is get kind of wind this conversation down. What one or two pieces of advice would you give to an entrepreneur listening to this that says, "Look, I, I'm just starting out. I've got an idea. I want to get going." I mean, is there one or two things that you kind of this is what you tell those folks? Hmm. One or two things that I would tell them. Well, I'm a data hog. I love to grind analytics and numbers, give me the facts. I don't have a great instinct or a gut for a lot of things. I, I'm mechanical about stuff. So I would say interview, again, you are who you hang out with. Go talk to two or three people about your idea that are in the space or out of the space. I've built boards of directors and uh, advisory boards. And, you know, I need somebody who had a government experience. I need somebody who had a .edu in their email address. I need a business leader. I need somebody who's in the .org space. All of those people have a different lens that they look through. So spread your wings, go out, ask somebody if they can introduce you to somebody. And I would say that not in either in either case, not 100% of people said, hey, that's a great idea. You should start a home health care company because you have no experience doing a home health care company. That sounds like a really good idea. If you get a lot of yes people around you, you may sink your ship faster than you, you think. So you actually want people to push back on you and you want to find that failure quickly, but recover even quicker. So there's a couple thoughts that I would have as far as a methodical what I would do. Set timelines, deadlines. Uh, One of our core values is time is a number. I can't get back the last hour of your life that I've taken here or 45 minutes in this interview. So I want to deliver value to you and hopefully vice versa, but I only have 168 hours in the week to to work. I got 5,780 hours in in the year to work, you know, or 8,780 hours. So what do I do? Um, I set goals. I set, you know, things that some I don't achieve and some I don't. And just treat people like you want to be treated, right? Is there anything that you want listeners to know about your story that we haven't talked about? Anything kind of parting, parting thoughts or comments? No, I mean, depending on where you are with, if you've, if you've got the big idea, you've got an idea, you've seen something that you think could, you could streamline. I think there's so many interesting opportunities out there for people to build stuff and create things in this country. I understand you have to go through you know, tax hurdles and legal hurdles and regulations and things of that nature. There's a lot stacked against you. But 
simple things like, boy, I wish I was the guy that was smart enough to take my roller skates when I was in seventh grade and put them in line and call them roller blades. Uh-huh. Right? I wish I was, as a guy who grew up skateboarding in California, smart enough to realize that we, you don't need a nose and a tail on a skateboard. You could have two tails and do lots more tricks with it. wish I had patented that idea because just about every skateboard I see is now has two tails. There's no front or back. They're both. Yeah. You, know, you use both. That's a good point. I never thought about that. So simple things like that, right? I mean, um, you just look around. Just be aware, uh, be bold, um, be be unafraid, be entrepreneurial. I mean, I think it's kind of the future of what we've got is innovation in this country. It's no secret that some of the you know greatest companies that have been built have been built in the last 10 or 15 years. And I subscribe to, as far as technology is concerned, nobody's really inventing new technology since the Internet. They're applying it in a different way. I'm taking autonomous robotic machines that have been around for 25 years with over two and a half million units and I'm putting it in a subscription much like Peloton has done with their model they took a stationary bike put some software on it charge you a subscription by a monthly basis and charge a $2,000 bike give you toe clips it's a stationary bike in the 1970s you just now software on it right and you buy it as a subscription so a lot of things are going subscription based we'll see what that looks like in the long term if everything becomes subscription if your appliances become a subscription you know why why would i replace a 3500 dollars refrigerator when they're not even building it to last more than five years so give me a monthly number like my phone bill and let me do it there's a gazillion ideas like i said none of those are good ideas the the skateboard one and rollerblades those work out pretty well but the other ones who knows where they're going right peloton obviously is doing some things and fascinating story nonetheless that's what I leave people with. I love ideas. Well, that's great, man. I, so how, how can people get in touch with you? How, if somebody's listening and says, I want to talk to that Neil guy, what, how do they get in touch yeah. with you? Yeah. Uh, so there are two, two websites, uh, www.allaboutcaresolutions.com. If you are interested in getting uh, reaching out to me uh, at All About Care Solutions, you can just put N-E-I-L in front of allaboutcaresolutions.com. And you'll get to me on the home care side of things. If you're interested in hearing more about MyGoat or seeing what we have, the videos and testimonials, www.mygoat.co. We took the M off, so it's .co. And you can stick Neil, N-E-I-L, beginning there, Neil at mygoat.co. And you can reach me via email at that um, at either one of those spots. And um, I'm sure it's one degree of separation in Nashville. If you need to get my personal cell phone, it wouldn't take too much. <laughs> now, do you have any special offers you want to make to our listeners? Yeah, here's what I would say. If, you're, if you've got a loved one who's, who you're not sure what kind of service you need or what have you, uh, call us. Uh, we, we do evaluations and we do assessments. We'll waive the assessment fee if you have a call in or what have you. But, you know, probably you know, two or three or four, we can, we can work through and see if it's the right fit. On the MyGoat side, you know, we are all about demonstrations and specifically for commercial customers. So I would offer, you know, uh, five, at least five demonstrations where we could show you what the product looked like, maybe put it on your property, but it would be based upon the size of the property, what some of the, we have to do kind of cost justification, but you know, Let's do five and five to make it easy. You know, f- five interview fees waived on the Yellow Care side and five demonstrations. All right. So the first five people to reach out to Neil through the, any of those contact information that he gave, if you will mention that you heard him on the Root of All Success podcast, he can make those things happen for you. Give you waive the, uh, the caregiver interview fee on the All About Care Solutions, or he can do the free preview demonstration on the MyGoat, which... I want to see one of those. I haven't seen one of those yet. I think that would be so cool, man. I wish, like, I, I have, a, I have a small farm. It's not big, and it's not, you know, it's not very big. But, but it would be cool to see what that would look like. I know I'm residential, so you don't do that anymore. But that would be cool to see how that works out there. Well, well, Neil, thank you, thank you for being. This is great. I mean, we know each other, but we don't really don't know each other. So this is kind of cool for me to hear more of your story. I love it. So thank you, honored. Thank you for the you, cigar. Well, you're you're welcome yeah. for that. And uh, so with that, what I see now is that. If you listen to this podcast, you will see that Neil's story is a successful entrepreneur, both in a bootstrapped healthcare, home healthcare business and a, an invested company where he's going to get investors primarily in the technology space, is that these five P's of success happen for everybody every time. It's, it's passion. It starts with your willingness to suffer. You don't have to be excited about the product. Now, if you are, 
even better. But if you don't have to be, but if you're willing to suffer through that and push through that and you're at the right place at the right time, know the right people, if you're prepared, you've got the education, you know what to do, and you put a plan in to, to, to obtain and deploy those resources, you can be successful. Now, if you're interested in understanding, doing an assessment on how what your probability of success is, I actually offer a free assessment called the Five P's of Success Assessment. And you can go to my website, the uh, therealjasonduncan.com slash success. That's therealjasonduncan.com slash success. And on that page, there is a little promo video of the idea of the five Ps, but you just listen to this podcast. So you can skip that, but go straight to download your assessment. You can take that assessment. It's free. Once you complete the assessment, you'll get a customized report that tells you what your probability of success is in your venture based on the answers to those questions. And I run those through the five Ps, just like we went over with Neil in this podcast today. So go to therealjasonduncan.com slash success for your free five P's of success assessment. So I will see you next time. All of you who are listening on uh, any of the YouTube or any of the uh, iTunes or Spotify, or et cetera, or Stitcher, any of those podcast players, or I'll see you again on YouTube as we get into another interview on the root of all success podcast. Thank you for joining me. I know that it's uh, it's time out of your day, but I hope this has been helpful for you. So I will talk to you on the next episode of the root of all success. And until then, remember, Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.